What's up, guys? It's Denise Salcedo. Welcome back to the channel. With me right now is former ECW champion, former NWA world champion, and one of the best minds in wrestling, Raven. Raven, thank you so much for taking this interview with me. Ah, uh, you're welcome. So I want to start off with it. it's been 25 years since the Raven character. How did you sort of brainstorm this character and plan it out? Um, it um, I needed I I, I went uh, like um, I wanted to do something that reflected my personality, um, and it's a long, long, laborious story. But suffice to say, that in in a short in the short um, version is that uh. I figured that the misfits, the tortured uh, souls, the the people that didn't fit in, those were my people, and uh, and I wanted to have a, a look that I felt comfortable wearing that also represented that, and it was also the what I dress. I mean, I dressed in ripped up jeans and ripped up concert shirts and a leather jacket, you know, put a flannel around my waist, and uh, and then um then I was trying to come up with a name, and I, so I was watching. I'd seen the movie The Crow, and I'm thinking. What was the name of the character now? I go, Eric Draven, Draven, Raven, quote the Raven, nevermore. And it just came to me like that. I mean, just kind of divine inspiration, really. Did you ever pitch the character to Vince McMahon? Um, no, I didn't. I knew it wouldn't make a difference because he would only see me as how he'd seen me before because the perception is reality. So they saw me as a comical character, which I would have. I, I like being a chicken shit heel, but... It's nobody was nobody was buying that, so I had to, I had to become a tough guy and change my uh, character. And um, but I didn't want to be one of those guys that just beats up everybody. Like that gets that gets boring. So I wanted to be tougher by taking more of a beating, by just continuing to get up. And um, and but I knew if I pitched it to Vince, then he would just even if he even if he liked it, he would have just put me as a, as a, I would have been an enhancement guy then, you know, or a low level guy because. That's what he saw me as. And so I, had, I knew if I wanted to go back, I'd have to leave to come back, which I did leave. And then when I did come back, they still, they really, I, yeah, there's, there's a lot of animosity there. Right. So what were Paul Heyman's initial thoughts when he first heard of the character? He thought, like, it ties right into what I'm saying. He thought it was going to be like a, he thought it was going to be a comedy version of what Raven is because he just assumed because I'd always done a comedy-esque character or had comedy, you know, chicken shit heel character that that's what he was getting. But um, but as soon as he saw it, it, it totally um, vibed with him. And uh, and bookers always have a town, have a person in the, in the company who they see themselves through the through that person's eyes. Like Vince sees himself as uh, as Lex Luger, the Patriot also sees himself as the million dollar man and that's how he sees the world through those eyes and Paulie saw his eye the world through dreamer in my eyes so it worked out great you know so he really he really understood my character maybe even more than I did at first you know before I'd really you know because it was new to me and uh and I think he understood it at first more than I did until eventually I mean eventually obviously I know it better than anybody but you know but it, at first it was a it was a great boon to have him know that to have him see that so, you know, speaking of that, what are your thoughts when it comes to how important is it for a guy to come up with his own character, his own gimmick, instead of having somebody else come up with it? Well, if you're a booker and you see a guy on an indie scene and you're like, I like that guy, he's got talent, but I got to figure out something to do with him. But if you see a guy who's fully developed, um, who's got a character and a, and a point of view, 
you can go, oh, I can fit that in in this story. And so it's much easier to cast somebody if they already are if they already are the part than to try and make somebody into a part. And you've seen that, you know, some results have worked out and a lot of them have, you know, bombed miserably. Were there ever any character ideas that you pitched to Paul that maybe he kind of just didn't run with or anything like that? I'm sure there were. I don't remember them. Um, he, um, you know, I mean, if, if I was really committed to something, they, you know, like the Blue Meanie, when I, I came up with that, with the idea of the Blue Meanie, they were so against the idea when they heard it. And I said, look, just give me a chance, give me one, give me one opportunity to debut them. And, uh, and if you don't like them, you don't use them again. And so they indulged me like they mostly did. And, uh, and then it turned out to be a great character. Well, speaking of that, did you ever think that Bubba and Devon would eventually become this, you know, recognizable in the industry, like this huge? Yes and no. Um, the, uh, they they were like Dudley eight and nine or seven and nine I think or something. They weren't even the original Dudleys. There there was Dudley Dudley, the original. But uh, they had a flyman from Florida and they couldn't. You know it's too expensive, so they wanted somebody local. Then we had Snot Dudley from California. He was a flying, so he got put by the wayside because of uh, travel budget. Um, Big Dick Dudley was from there. I think from the, the from the start or from the, right off the get go. Um, and he was a New Yorker, so he stayed. Then we had Dances with Dudley, uh, Devon, Spike, uh, Bubba. Uh, oh, we had Chubby Dudley. Um, yeah, I mean, the, um, yeah, I like, it's funny that they weren't even, they weren't even close to the original Dudleys, but, you know, they ran with it and they were the best at it, you know? That's awesome. So now let's go ahead and switch gears because I do want to talk about some current topics in wrestling as well and get your thoughts on it. So let's start off with AEW. Right now, everybody's talking about AEW, WWE, you know, Wednesday Night Wars, all of that. So when it comes to that, you know, it almost took 20 years for there to be a viable competition against WWE. Why do you think it took so long? Because executives didn't see wrestling as a moneymaker, you know, the, the ad ratings, I mean, the ad um, dollars are much lower for wrestling than it is for everything else. And so I just think that, uh, exec I mean, I know for a fact executives just didn't see wrestling as a, as a money-making commodity after WCW went out of business. And, uh, and so it just took till somebody decided, you know, with enough money to invest in it and uh, who had connections. Do you think that it's hard, if AEW wants to be an alternative to WWE, do you think it's hard based on the fact that they have to attract casual fans and not just rely on their hardcore fan base? Do you think that that's possible? Uh, I think they have a total, from what I understand, they, they have a totally different fan base. Um, you know, the pay-per-view, the fan base that buys the pay-per-views that buy AEW don't buy the other pay-per-views and vice versa. So uh, I think they've accomplished that. I mean, just the fact that they... That the um, the Cody and the Young Bucks were able to sell that kind of merchandise at Hot Topic right away. When as soon as I heard they were selling stuff in Hot Topic and selling out, I knew there was gonna something big was happening. Because I mean, that's Hot Topic deals with national products, and they weren't a national commodity. You know, they were they were Japanese uh, character, you know, wrestlers, Japan wrestlers, and so I, I knew there was something big there. So it was just a matter of time at that point. And based on what you've seen, what's something that has stood out to you that you like or some things that need improvement with AEW? No, I really like the show. Um, I, think it's, uh, I think it's a really good show. I think Cody's a hell of a boss. Um, and I think they, uh, they got, they got, um, they're going places. 
Nice. So we were talking earlier about being the number two promotion, but for a long time, that number two promotion was Impact Wrestling, TNA. What do you think it is that sort of led to their downfall? Bad booking. The same thing that leads to the downfall of every company. Bad booking, bad characters. And if you have good characters and bad booking, you're still going to eventually lead to, to your downfall. But you can, have, you can have bad characters and good booking and you'll survive. You can have bad booking and you won't survive whether the characters are good or not. It, it's, you got to have the right storytelling. I mean, because you're trying to, if you're going to keep somebody's attention for two, three hours every single week, and not just 22 weeks like a TV show, but 52 weeks you know, of the year, because there's no off-season in wrestling, you have to have a clever, creative storytelling and speaking of creative storytelling, Tessa Blanchard, Sammy Callahan, we just have te Tessa Blanchard just became the first ever Impact World Champion. I want to know what your thoughts are, not just on that accomplishment, but also your thoughts on intergender matches. I'm not a fan of intergender matches for the simple fact that it looks like uh, spousal abuse. You know, I mean, I think it just, there's a problem, you know, and I'm not saying that the women aren't as good as men. I'm not saying they can't be better than men, but I'm just saying that I think the size difference and the fact that men beating on women, it has a bad look. It's just a bad look, especially in the Me Too movement era. You know, it's it's not a good look. Um, but then again, I think, you know, I think Impact is, is, um, is being strategic with this because they want to do something different to set themselves apart. And I'll reserve judgment until I've actually seen it, which I haven't. So I can't say all I'm going by is my initial gut reaction, but I haven't watched it. I don't watch the current product uh, except AEW I watch, but, um, but I haven't seen any of impact lately. And so, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I, I could give you a, a 30 minute discourse, but, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, just preach about something. I really don't know well enough. So also, you know, speaking of the fact that you watch AEW, so there's AEW, there's Impact, there's WWE, there's so much going on, there's so much wrestling content right now. Do you think that it is too much? Do you think it's maybe oversaturated? Of course. It's always oversaturated. Because, like, you know, I'm sure if WWE really, if, they, if it was up to them, they would go two hours, one show a week, and now that's all, or maybe two shows a week, and that's it, but... You know, but they had the third hour put into Raw because you, know, you can't turn down the money. How do you turn it down? So it's ridiculous not to. And then they had to put, they didn't have to, but they decided to go with NXT against AEW because it's competition. Competition's good, but, you know, they want to be the, they want to be number one and only, and, and they want there to be no number two. So they had to make that. So now you have extra shows. Then you also have MLW, you have Impact. Um, so if you're a wrestling fan, it's a it's a if you're a super wrestling fan, it's a smorgasbord. But if you're a casual fan, it's a lot to digest, you know. But I think I think you know the more discerning your tastes are, um, you'll zero in on a product you like, hopefully, and stay with it, as opposed to just going ah, it's too much and throwing the towel. But I, you know, but you don't know. I don't, I really don't know at this point. Time to pick and choose for everyone. So I also want to know your thoughts in terms of when it comes to social media. How do you think social media has impacted the world of pro wrestling and the industry for better and for worse? Um, I think people listen too much to the internet. You know, the people that, if you're a sports fan, okay, the people that write on the message boards and all that, 
they are such a small minority. Like, what, what are you a fan of? What, besides wrestling, what are you a fan of? Um, pop culture, music, TV. Okay, music. Do you go on web? You, now, are you a big music fan? Yes, I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. You're a big Taylor Swift fan, but do you go on websites and write stuff on her on her fan pages and chat rooms? I do not, unless it's a comment, a positive comment. But that's my point. My point is, is so if you're listening to people that go there, they're the one percent of the one percent of the one percent, and you're listening to a, such a small minority. And that's always been a problem. The people, the, the boys, are, and you know, the bookers have listened to the internet for so long, and they still don't realize that you can take that as a as something to add to your knowledge base, but to, to go by that as the gospel, you're, you're catering to such a small audience that's going to tune in anyway. So you don't even have to worry about them because they're going to tune in no matter what, you know? So it's, 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 it's very bad in many ways. And, um, and, and also for people, you know, who, you know, nowadays, like, you know, I did some stupid ass shit when I was younger, which nobody will ever know about unless I tell them, you know, which I, I, I have no problem telling people because I'm, you know, I'm an open book. But but most people, you know, you want your younger life protected. But now with the Internet, everybody's life is is on display from day one and they feel like they have to. It also gives people a sense of FOMO, fear of missing out. Yeah, it, I think it's really become a like a, a trap, you know, I mean. Yeah, I, to be honest, if I, if I didn't, if I didn't, I barely, I barely post. I, I don't go on Facebook, but what I post on Twitter goes on Facebook. I don't go on Instagram. And the only reason I even tweet, and that's very little, is because just to keep my fan base, you know, just to keep something active. But if it was up, to, but if I retire completely, I'm not going to go on any of that. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't do me any, it, it's just, it's more of an inconvenience than anything. It's very easy to get sucked into that bubble and just get very invested in what people are writing. And sometimes it can really affect your mental state. But let's go ahead and talk about one of the topics that everybody was talking about is the fact that now Paul Heyman is running creative, you know, secondhand to Vince McMahon. What are your thoughts on that for Raw, especially, well, for specifically for Raw? I don't, I don't follow the current product really too much. I mean, you know, I started watching AEW because it was different and I like Cody. You know, I'm a friend of Cody's and... uh but really, I don't watch the product, you know. I mean, I kind of keep abreast of it, what goes on, but obviously not that deeply, or I would even I would have known that. But um, but I have somebody send me like you know the random information that happens once a week, and then I just read it over, and that's it. And the only reason I even do that is just because it's still my business, and I still want to have an idea what's going on. But I don't follow it closely, you know. I don't want to know what's going on that deeply. Um, it doesn't. I have too many other interests to, to occupy my time to, than to spend, you know, hours. It's something that for 30 years I devoted my life to. And it's, you know, it's time to move on, you know. It's interesting because my last question to you is actually going to be, you know, as having this great mind, I thought that maybe maybe create, going back into creative was something that you might be interested in. So is that out no, completely no, for the future for you? That's a different subject because... That I'd like to pass on my knowledge. So, like, when I go on the road, I do a lot of seminars, you know, and uh, teach psychology to young guys. Um, yeah, I definitely um, am talking to some people about creative, but, um, but, but it's from a different perspective. It's because I want to teach and give back more so than it is I want to be involved, if that makes sense. I mean, not that I, you know, not that, I mean, I don't want to not be involved, but I don't need, I don't have a need to be involved is what I'm saying. I don't have a, a, a you know... I could, I've walked away, you know, I, from, you know, 
I've walked away for years now. I've walked away numerous times in the business. I don't need the business, but I'd like to give back to the business, you know, because it gave so much to me. Well said. I love that. Raven, thank you so much for taking the time not only to talk to me, but also give your insight on all of this. It was a pleasure talking to you today. Guy, oh, do you want to share anything that you want to plug or social media or any upcoming events or anything like that? Sure. Um, uh, at The Raven Effect is, all, is my handle for Twitter. So that's about it. And my podcast is The Raven Effect Podcast. I mean, that's really, you know, that's about it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. If you like this interview, make sure to give it a like. Do not forget to subscribe to the channel for more, and we'll see you later.